stream. All right, it looks like I'm live on all of the streams I need to be live on. <laughs> um, I'm on, and uh, I'm still suspended from TikTok briefly. I'll be back there on Friday or maybe next Monday. And that was because I did not properly screen my phone calls. I'm doing a live show here, and it's a very kind of a unique experiment, I think. I don't know if anyone else is doing this, but I'm going live. Monday through Friday, 12 noon to 1 p.m. or longer, on about 12 or 13 different platforms, and I'm taking calls. And it's amazing. It's actually, um, it's actually works quite well. Let me get my Skype phone number up here so I can begin to give out the phone number. Um, the phone number, by the way, if you'd like to join the program, and I'm doing an open lines program. I don't I don't believe that my guest is coming on today. I think he had a medical issue, um, so he had to postpone. Um, so I'm doing what's essentially an open lines program, and um, I'm taking calls. There's obviously a lot to talk about. There's a lot going on right now in this country, and we're going to get into a lot of it, or at least as much as I can. And so you can join the program at 617 396 Four nine five eight. Um, that is the phone number. You're welcome aboard. Um, we've got. Uh, let's see. I've got my Yeti speaker working properly. <laughs> it's amazing what you can do. Um, and so, just to give a quick rundown, I am live on YouTube, Facebook, um, and about five different other streams going through the um, the restream system. And I'm also live today on LinkedIn. And then, of course, the program archives on Rumble and Minds and about five other venues uh, through Podomatic, including um, iHeartRadio, iTunes, Spotify, uh, Stitcher. So I've really, I'm really working here to build an online experience, I guess you might say. And my goal is to do this Monday through Friday, 12 noon to 1 p.m., where I will be taking your calls, and you can call in and comment, and you are heard. Last week, I had a very successful five shows where I got a lot of calls. They all Everything sounded great. It all went over live on all of my venues. We would also archives on most of them, including YouTube. Um, and and Facebook and uh, and others and uh, I just had a really great time. I mean, it was amazing to uh, to just talk with people and and hear people right off the street what uh, what's on people's minds. You know, building up an audience and everything was great until Friday when someone basically bombed my show essentially by calling up and using the N word and yelling into the receiver. And I hung up as soon as possible, but it was too late. They got through. And the result is that I've been suspended for seven days on TikTok, which doesn't feel good. And, you know, but I get it. You know, it's a, you can't do that. I mean, this is a, this essentially is like a radio program and I intend to treat it as such. I want to have the maintenance of a basic, community standards where we can not use obscenities and and vile words and we we can't you know criticize people based upon their race or their gender or their sexual orientation or anything like that we have to have an intelligent conversation here and uh, really learn something and then if they censor me and I'm taken off then we'll know why <laughs> but right now I have to be careful. So if someone does call in, I'm basically going to pop on the headphones and um, in fact, there's no reason why I can't. Well, no, I can't put them on now because then you won't hear the sound in the room, but the, you won't hear the sound in the room brief, briefly, although there is no sound in the room other than me. So actually, I don't think it's a problem. How do you like that? How do you like them apples? I can plug in the headphones and it's not going to matter because the sound in the room, well, let me see. It won't be picked up by LinkedIn. So 
All right. So we'll leave it at that. Um, and um, yeah, I'm not making a lot of sense here. I can plug them in. <laughs> and if you call in, then I will hear you. And if, it, if it's a good call, then I'll take it off. Anyway, so you're welcome to join the conversation. 617-396-4958. Charles Moskowitz here doing the live program. Monday through Friday from 12 to 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Now, obviously, we are looking at an inauguration coming up on Wednesday at 12 o'clock when it does appear, and I don't think there's any question about it at this point, that Joe Biden and Kamala Harris are going to be inaugurated as president and vice president of the United States. My hope is that going forward, we can continue to discuss and investigate the phenomena of fraud in this election and whether it was stolen. I believe, I continue to believe that the evidence vastly suggest that it was. However, let me be clear. I recognize as president and vice president, whomever is inaugurated and whomever takes the oath of office on Wednesday at 12 noon. That's what the constitution of our country says. And that's what I shall do. I am not going to go on like the left did and you know, say, oh, this is not my president or anything like that. Um, I expect that in that context, I will praise the new administration when they operate in a way that I think is in the best interests of our country. And I will criticize them when they don't. Um, my criticism is going to be normal unlike the type of criticism that Donald Trump had to undergo, which was abnormal and which was extreme. And my praise will be normal. You know, I want what is best for my country. I want that because not only do I care about my country, but I care about my own future and the future of my family and my community. And in that vein, I want to see the new administration do well, even as I continue to insist that the ascension of that administration was corrupt and wrong and crooked, and that going forward, we have to solve the problems that were associated with that corruption, and that with them in power, that's going to be a lot more difficult. I would have said this even if President Trump had been rightfully uh, you know, inaugurated for a second term. We have to deal with the level of corruption that I believe took place that resulted in this election. Otherwise, we are going to never have another free election at any level, and we're going to completely lose our sovereign ability as citizens to function and to operate in a free society where we assume the right to determine our own government that is subservient to us, the people. And thus, we have the right to assume and assert our functions going forward in terms of our destiny as a nation and in the broader sense as individuals. So I think that we have to continue to investigate what I would suggest is fraud. I will continue to talk about this as long as I'm not taken out and as long as I'm given a platform. And, um, you know, I will continue to um, forge forward on it. Um, it looks like, uh, let's see, LinkedIn only gave me a certain amount of time, which is fine. Um, that's what they do. That's how they roll. <laughs> I can't criticize. This is, uh, you know, after all, this stuff is all free, by the way or most of it is, that I'm doing. So I have no, you know, I can't really um, 
criticized. But since they are, they have finished the broadcast there. I think I'm going to go live on Periscope um, as a way to um, to continue here. Um, let's see. I think that, or if I'm not already live on Periscope, I don't know. Let's see. Periscope. Let's go to. Um, it says I'm. Um, All right, I am live on Periscope. Let me see if I can switch the. Can I switch the camera? Um, hmm. I don't see anything that says I can. So, you're going to get some strange. Oh, there we go. Yes, I can. Ah, there we go. Thank you very much. So we're live now on Periscope. You know, it's interesting. You, you, you're down on one. You go up on the other. Six one seven three nine six four nine five eight. For those of you joining me now on Periscope. The program is live Monday through Friday, 12 noon to 1 p.m. Eastern Time on about on multiple live stream platforms. I think I'm up to about 12 or 13 live stream platforms, including Periscope, but most, most importantly, and the central ones are YouTube, Facebook, Twi- Twitch, DLive, uh, Podomatic, and a whole list of others. Um, and the program also archives on all of these sites. I have a list of very interesting guests coming up this week, which will, we will be doing commentary, obviously, on the news of the day, which is the inauguration. And uh, I'm looking forward to, uh, I'm committed, really, to doing this um, every day. So, um, you know, welcome aboard, 617 396 Four nine five eight. That number again is six one seven three nine six four nine five eight. What is on your mind this afternoon, huh? So we have the inauguration. I think that, uh, as I was saying to my rest of my audience, as an American, I will recognize whomever is sworn in on at twelve o'clock in the afternoon on Wednesday. Uh, I believe that. All indications point to that being former Vice President Joseph R. Biden Jr. and California Senator Kamala Harris as Vice President. Um, Having said that, again, I will reiterate, I will continue to talk about and investigate what I would argue is a stolen election, because I think if we don't do that, We'll never have another free election in this country. Moving forward, I intend to... A lot of people that uh, normally I would interview are not doing interviews right now uh, for reasons that we can discuss. But those people include uh, Dr. Jerome Corsi, Lieutenant General Michael Flynn, uh, Attorney Sidney Powell, Rudolph Giuliani, um, George Geneva, Victoria Tonsing, um, you know, Jenna Ellis, and, and other people who are at the center of this situation, the, the stealing of the election, which I would argue that that is precisely what this is. So you're welcome. You know, it's just that they're not doing interviews right now. Now, the atmosphere right now and going into this is not pleasant. It's deeply troubling. I mean, I, I'm speaking here as a Massachusetts citizen. I mean, I'm watching on the news the state sending off our National Guard to go to Washington, which has never been this militarized, I don't think, since the Civil War. And this is kind of almost gleefulness about it. They're, they're like giddy. Oh, this is exciting. You know, it's, it has a kind of a a fascistic stench to it. I'm sorry, but that's how I see it. You know, this kind of militarized feeling of like, you know, we're going to go there and be strong men and seize the place and kick people's ass. And, you know, just, it's it's just ugly. The whole atmosphere of it. And, uh, I don't know what's going on in Washington, but I think that it almost is like an occupied zone 
And that includes heightened security at all state capitals. Now, the ostensible reason for this is that they have threats to these buildings and to people with the implication that these threats emanate from people who, like me, are supporters of Donald J. Trump. We are the deplorables, that somehow we're involved in a conspiracy to commit violence, right? And uh, while I don't doubt the fact that there were threats, in fact, we've been talking about this since last summer with the outbreak of violence across the country in response to the George Floyd shooting, killing. And that in that case, everyone understood that the people that would, were launching the attacks, looting black you know, businesses, burning black neighborhoods, killing black people, were Antifa, who are on the radical left and who are anti-government. And uh, they were allied with elements of BLM, which of which members had been implicated in the killing of four policemen in Dallas and two policemen in New York City, who in that case, not that it matters, they happen to be minorities. They were Asian and um, Hispanic, and they were sitting in their squad car, you know, conducting their work, and suddenly this guy just walked over to the window and he, bl- he blasted them away. He, he murdered them in cold blood and said he had been inspired by Black Lives Matter. Now, since then, Black Lives Matter has toned down some of their public rhetoric, but I don't think that there's any question, and I don't think it's controversial to note that elements of that organization, which is so revered, especially around here in these lily-white suburbs, you see the signs on people's lawns, and Antifa, which is an outright open communist front group, that they were the perpetrators of that violence and that terror campaign, that they were, by any uh, definition, they were and they could be described as insurrectionists. And that this was something that was noted uh, by everyone. I mean, and uh, if anything, there was both attempts to downplay it by saying, oh, these are peaceful protesters, and most of them were, by the way, or to glorify it. Like people like my own uh, representative, Ayanna Presley, saying that we're going to be in the streets, you know, doing this rioting for, right on through the election. Or Kamala Harris, who said the same thing. Um, or certain news people like uh, who is it that not that that guy on um, on MSNBC Cuomo Andrew Cuomo he's like oh you have to who says protesters have to be peaceful so you know they're instigating it in other words and they they thought there might be political gain by looting black businesses and burning black neighborhoods uh, you know I think. I don't know. Maybe there was. I don't think so. I think that it backfired on them because it gave President Trump, I think, a, a, a huge victory if, if you remove the elements of the election that were stolen. Um, and, and it increased his margin among minority communities, probably much more than we even know, given the fact that votes were stolen and votes were uh, disappeared in particularly minority neighborhoods. So, and yet, this was their strategy, moving into the election. Uh, and now, and, and you know, by the way, just to re- recap that, that whole episode, when they firebombed St. John's Church across the street from the White House, which was a, an American iconic institution, it was a church that every American president since with one exception, every American president since James Madison had attended services there. The one exception, of course, being John F. Kennedy because he was Catholic. And this was firebombed, and you can see the it's boarded up. And these these people, these radicals, these um, 
insurrectionists were not only did they firebomb it, but they were trying to breach the the fence of the White House to do who knows what. And President Trump, in a clearly symbolic event, which is what presidents are supposed to do, they're supposed to show leadership, he went to the front of the church and he held up a Bible and he defied these terrorists and said, we're not going to let you make us cower. We're not going to hide. And, and the reaction was that the media covered him as, as having done something somehow wrong. It's one of these strange things. I mean, this is how they, they handled Trump anyway all the way through. And, and you really, you know, kind of scratch your head. We're supposed to think there's something wrong with this. And, yet, and we see the boarded-up church in the background with a barbed wire around it. And we're supposed to think he's wrong? We're not supposed to ask ourselves who firebombed St. John's Church, right? We're not supposed to ask that. And, oh, they, they were peaceful protesters. Yeah, right. They were tearing down statues of George Washington and trying to loot, you know, trying to invade the Jefferson Memorial. But they were peaceful protesters, we're told. And that it was mean and cruel and overreacting to use, you know, tear gas to make them move away from a White House that they were laying siege to, right? Right. Oh, sure. Anyway, so it was in this atmosphere with the government really not doing all that much. Um, you know, the few attempts that President Trump made to, to try to quell this rebellion, particularly in Portland, where the Federal Mark Hatfield Federal Courthouse had been ransacked and and loo, and you know garbage thrown at it and graffiti everywhere. Where he actually sent federal troops there to try to stop it, and they went out and they tried to arrest people. Somehow this was wrong because they were wearing plain clothes. Really, I mean these same people who, who criticize that now they want to, I mean put you know Trump supporters in in FEMA camps, right? Um, anyway, I think that Trump attempted to quell the, what, what can only be described as a rebellion. And he was met with such fierce opposition to it that he made a political decision, a strategic decision not to do it and to just so hopefully let the American people see what was going on. And then, uh, after the election, then he'd be in a, have a stronger hand in terms of um, taking the necessary actions. So, you know, you had that. And you had, and by the way, I want to thank Minds and Rumble for just joining the program. This program is Monday through Friday, 12 noon to 1 p.m., Charles Moskowitz Live. I am committed to doing this Monday through Friday every day. Last week I had a great week of broadcasting. And I am doing it live on about a dozen streams, a dozen live streams. The uh, Rumble and Minds uh, websites, among others, are not live. Those are going to be archived. But I will, again, mention that the program is live Monday through Friday, 12 noon to 1 p.m. Eastern Time, and that I am taking phone calls. You can actually call this program 617-396-4958, 617-396-4958 is the number. Just for my, my newly arriving Rumble and Minds followers, uh, let me recap. We're talking about the upcoming inauguration. I want to reiterate that I recognize the new president and vice president of the United States. Once they are inaugurated, I'm not going to take the stand that they're not my president. I think that's un-American. I thought it was un-American when the um, you know people did that, tried to do that to President Trump. And I'm not going to go that way. Whoever is inaugurated at 12 o'clock on Wednesday will be the president and vice president of the United States. We have to have a government. Having said that, I will continue to investigate and insist that the election was stolen, that this was 
and obvious and open theft of an election, and that we must continue to be able to talk about this, investigate this, demand actions and concrete actions, or else we're never going to have another free election in this country. We have to continue to insist on certain things. Firstly, I might as well lay them out. I would contend that we have to get rid of the Dominion software. Even if on a slight level they are on the up and up, which they're not, we can't have this kind of suspicion. We can't have votes that are in, can in any way be manipulated electronically. We cannot have our votes go through machines that can weigh them. Even if they're honest, it's just not a good idea. Most nations in the world have not used these systems. They still do it the old-fashioned way. They count them out one at a time. One man, one vote. So we have to continue to investigate the Dominion thing, but we have to also demand that our states and our municipalities get rid of them. We can't use them. We have to go back to the system of counting the votes. It's not that difficult. Maybe it might take a little longer. Fine. We, if it costs money, fine. I mean, the Dominion software costs money. Didn't the, um, it come out that the state of Georgia had given a contract to Dominion software for up to $100 million, right? And maybe more. I mean, and, and uh, allegedly a couple of people were put on payrolls as a result of that. I mean, Zuckerberg spent $400 million in this front group that helped get out the vote. How about spending money on counting the vote? This country can do it. We cannot have electronic balloting. Secondly, we have to have a system of voter ID, and it has to be free. can't cost anything. I mean, the allegation is, well, poor people won't be able to afford it. Some of these poor people might happen to be minority, which um, is judged differently. And therefore, to counter that argument, it has to be made free. And I think it can be made free. It's not an expensive thing. I mean, during the uh, one of the stimulus packages promoted by the U.S. House and Nancy Pelosi, you know, they added, I don't know, what was it, like a half a billion, if not a billion dollars? What's a billion here or a billion there, right? For voter reform? Fine. If they can add that kind of money for voter reform, which is nothing more than a payoff to liberal Democrats, instead, they can put about a tenth of that, maybe about 10 million, 100 million, I don't know, to uh, in ranging for every state and every municipality to offer voter ID. Very simple. You simply have, it's, but it should be as easy as getting a license was before, you know, the, the national ID system, which, by the way, is complicated. I had to go through that last summer, and you had to have a passport, and you had to have, you know, bills that showed your address on it, and I even went and got my birth certificate. I mean, it was not easy to get that, that ID in order to renew my license, but I did it, and I think that the process of getting voter ID can be a lot easier than that. It'll just be a simple identification, a signature, and a, and a photo, and they're all done freely so that a person can carry that around like you'd carry a license. Now, when this was first advocated, I remember most liberal politicians, including the governor of Michigan at that time, Grenholm, were on board with that. They, want, they thought, of course we'll do this. Why not? It helps improve the vote. It helps... And all of a sudden, there was this strange, deep state opposition to it that suddenly bubbled up. And the main front group for that opposition was the so-called Brennan Institute, which is a George Soros-funded front, an astroturf group that 
came up with this thesis that somehow having an ID meant you had something against African-American men and women. And, you know, with, with the racist implication that somehow African-American men and women would be incapable of getting this simple ID, which is, of course, racist and lie in a lie. Anybody can get the ID. We all have ID to function on the course of a day. I mean, Americans don't leave the house without some kind of ID. You need it to, you know, to conduct business. If you want to buy, you know, buy, uh, you know, go to the bank or, or buy, buy a lottery ticket, I don't know, whatever, you know, buy groceries, buy booze, <laughs> you need an ID. And if you don't have an ID, then that's, a, that's an issue that perhaps the state could address. But I think that it is extremely rare for a person to not have some simple form of ID. And, that, and, and you should tell these white left-wing racists that that includes black people, that they can and they do. I mean, it's a very patronizing style of racism, this sort of, you know, Rudyard Kipling, white man's burden. Oh, they can't, they treat black people like they're children. It's very insulting and very offensive. And an excuse to stop voter ID for reasons that had nothing to do with that. It had reasons that, that had everything to do, I would argue, with their need to keep alive the ability to cheat. Because without voter ID, you can cheat more easily. That's the whole point. You need every voter, every man and woman of legal voting age who's an American citizen who is registered to vote should present their identification. And therefore, we know that fraudulent votes were not cast. It's that simple. And, uh, you know, it gets to, I mean, this election is enough proof that all the proof we need in terms of why the, the Democrats and the left are opposed to that. So anyway, getting back to what we need to do. Number one, get rid of the Dominion voting machines and all of the electronic voting machines. Number two, a national voter ID implemented on the state level. Uh, by the way, I get into this in my new book, which I just published last week, that being We're All Socialists Now, a deplorable looks at the 2020 election available at Amazon Books. So we have the Dominion vote, getting rid of the Dominion and all the other ones, the national voter ID. And then the third piece is insisting that our, our states, our counties, and our municipalities go through their voter rolls and purge those rolls of people who had either passed away or who had moved out of the district or out of the state or who were for some other reason ineligible to vote. I mean, there were reports coming out of various states, not only of, particularly Nevada for some reason, Clark County, which is where Las Vegas is, <coughs> excuse me, where votes were cast in the name of people who had passed away. Votes were cast by people or in the name of people who had moved out of state. Votes were cast by people who were underage, who were not eligible to vote because they were not old enough to vote. Not to mention the Fido vote, <laughs> right? And, and the, the, the Thomas the Cat vote. Um, and other kinds of votes where you had a name registered on the rolls who was not really the person. That has to change. That's the third spoke on the wheel. And it is not that difficult. You know, this Congress, as I say, they earmarked a billion dollars for voter reform. Fine. Maybe that money could, you, you could earmark a 20th of that, maybe, a, you know, a, or we could ask Mark Zuckerberg to pony it up after spending $400,000 getting out liberal Democrat votes. You know, we could, we could demand that they pony it up and that that would go maybe to pay people. You know, we're paying people to do uh, contract tracing for, for the COVID virus. Why not pay people to go to their local, it would be a good job. 
It would be worth it. As taxpayers, we, we should want that. Go to their local county. Go through the voting rolls, which are, matter, I believe, public record. And if not, then the county should provide it for to uh, designated employees. And verify every name on the roll. Call them up. You know, communicate. Get some means to verify the names. Look up their addresses. You know, check check the records of who owns the house. I mean, check the census records. It is not, this is not brain surgery we're talking about here. It can be done. And thus the voting rolls can be cleaned up because everyone knows. And this is something that was discussed by, and I quote this in my book, by um, Chris Matthews, formerly of Hardball, got in trouble during the Me Too movement, um, where he talked about, he remembers growing up in Philadelphia and witnessing as a young man, you know, after the polls close, corrupt poll workers going in and voting all of the um, votes that had not been cast. Now, there might not be a, ever be a complete way to stop that, but at least if we take off the rolls, people who had passed away or who had moved out of state or who were not qualified to vote, then it wouldn't have as big an impact because then it would, they would just be voting the names of people who didn't show up, as evil and as rotten as that is. You know, that, that would reduce the impact of such fraud probably by at least 80%. So those are the three reforms that I would advocate going forward. I also would advocate that the um, if there's one thing we learned from this election, and I also get into this in my book, you're welcome to, it's a short pamphlet type book. It's available at Amazon Books. We are all socialists now, Charles Moskowitz. I think I charged three bucks. You can still get it for free, I think, as an ebook. The one thing, one of the things that we've learned, one of the lessons we've learned from this is that election laws under the Constitution, Article 2, Section 2, are regulated by, passed by, ratified by, and created by state legislators. State, the state legislature is where the power resides in our free country. And the federal Congress, that also is where the power resides. As acknowledged by the U.S. Constitution and by state constitutions. And that is because it is those uh, bodies of government where you have representatives who are elected by the people in relatively small districts, on the state level at least, who then vote on and create legislation that reflects the opinions and the values of the people that they represent, their constituents. That is what the left calls and what is democracy in the American context. They operate, obviously, within the limited powers of the state and federal constitution, but that is where the power to govern lies. I mean, if you look at the U.S. Constitution, and that is reflected in the state constitutions, it's all about the powers of the Congress, of the state legislators. Article 1, Section 3 of the Constitution, it says, Congress shall, not the president, not the Supreme Court, not some unelected bureaucracy, but Congress shall regulate things like, you know, the taxation, uh, the the uh, the nature of our monetary unit, how much money we have in the economy, um, you know, things like uh, you know civil service and and uh, and and wartime and and every other kind of legislation. Those things are done by Congress and on the state level by the states. And the Constitution very explicitly says, Article 2, Section 2, that it is the state legislators who are to create and enact laws 
with regard to voting. And one of the corruptions of this election, regardless of whether or not it actually did help steal the election, and I would suggest it did, but even if it didn't, was the fact is that states, and it was more than just the so-called battleground states too, I think it was other states, you had governors, you had judges, you had bureaucrats making these laws up. And they did it under the guise of the COVID emergency, which is something we could talk about as a separate question. But the fact of the matter is that either way, they were behaving in a manner that was not constitutional on the state or federal level. The proper venue for making such laws would have been state senators and state representatives debating these laws in public. I mean, I suppose during the COVID, they could do it through Zoom, like I'm doing right now, which is fine. But either way, doing it in a way that you have all sides heard in a public forum, you have public input, you have testimony, you have cross-examination, you have debate, and then you have a public vote so that the law is then either passed or not passed in a constitutional manner. There's a reason why this system exists. It is the most democratic system that we can have. And I think that what happened in those battleground states, particularly Pennsylvania, and I think also Georgia, was that the governors and the secretaries of state had assumed unlawful powers to, and in Michigan, with that, with that, particularly with that secretary of state there, Jocelyn Benson, that they were beginning to just make laws up. And in the case of Pennsylvania, they were doing it just a few days before the election and even after the election. And they all favored Biden and they all weakened the functionality of proving the identification of the voter, which favored Biden, I would suggest. Um, in in uh, Georgia, they removed the ability to confirm and, and, and check absentee ballots with signatures. In Pennsylvania, they allowed voting to take place three or four days after election day. And all of this was argued because of the COVID-19 emergency, but either way, it should have been done through the legislatures so that the public would have a say in it. That's what the democratic system does. And I think that, in my opinion, I think that it would, would have not been necessary. I think that, you know, we're talking about a, um, a virus that it led to lockdowns, rightfully or otherwise, as early as March of 2020. So we're talking about eight or nine months before the election. There certainly was opportunity for a person to apply for an absentee ballot and have it confirmed by the clerk and, um, and then sent back to them so they can mail it at the appropriate date. I mean, it's just, it's not an excuse. And if someone is uncomfortable about lining up at a polling place because of the virus, putting aside the fact that, you know, the same person can go to a grocery store, you know, we all are taking reasonable and proper risks where we, you know, nobody wants to catch this terrible disease. I mean, I'm taking precautions. I don't go outside without a mask. Uh, but even within that context, there would have been ways to have found a vote and to have identified a person. They didn't need to paper the house with ballots. I think that had a political agenda to it. Uh, the uh, Anyone who criticized it was attacked. It was very interesting. President Trump did note it early. Yeah, it was it was a recipe for fraud. And he was right. And I think that going forward, we have to demand that our state legislators reassert their sovereign 
constitutional powers, not just in terms of voting either, but in terms of all areas of legislation. I mean, this is a bigger question. Since 1920, well, since 19, the election of 1912, uh, where Woodrow Wilson, the country's first openly socialist um, politician, was elected president, we have seen a steady transfer of, elect, of, of legislative powers away from legislatures, both Congress and state, and for that matter, local city councils and city assemblies, and into the hands either of a strengthened and a more authoritarian executive, <coughs> excuse me, whether that be president, governor, mayor, and or a transfer of such powers to unelected bureaucracies, including international bureaucracies like the United Nations and the World Trade Organization and and NGOs. And this is, it's unconstitutional, it's undemocratic, and it's frankly immoral. And I think that if there's one lesson that we can derive from this corrupt election, the most corrupt in American history, is that our state legislators need to reassert their sovereign right to legislate and to take back that function from illegal, unlawful, external forces who are trying to make laws by fiat and without the consent of the governed. And uh, how can we do that? How can we learn this lesson? Well, and by the way, you're welcome to join the program. This is Open Lines 617-396-4958, Charles Moskowitz here, Monday through Friday, 12, 1, 12 to 1 p.m., live streaming every afternoon, every weekday, live uh, phone calls. How can we do that, you may ask? Well, we can do it by having people who understand this run for local office, state rep, state senator. And I urge people to do that. I did it. I ran for Congress in Massachusetts in 2004, where I raised at least, I think, a half a million dollars. And I, I ran against a very prominent sitting congressman named Barney Frank. And it was exhilarating. It was great. It was very intense. I don't want to <laughs> go too deeply into all of that. That's old news. But what I'll say is that I was able to get a couple of issues out in the public, and it made a difference. I really do think it did. And that's, public, that's uh, in a sense, I think, almost our duty as citizens. Not, uh, not, not everybody should run for office, but it's certainly one way, and I think it's a great way, to perform your duty as a citizen in a country where we want to preserve freedom where we want to advance freedom, and where we may have issues that we want people to know about. A great way to do that is to run for local office. And I just want to spend a little time talking about that. Um, I can see the phone lines aren't lit up today. Maybe it's because it's uh, the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Day. People are out. Whatever reason, I, I want to take a little time to discuss this particular, because first of all, Any citizen can run for one of these offices. And if you are in a position where you have the time to do it, the energy to do it, you can be a housewife, you can be stay-at-home parents whose children are, you know, going off to college and you're going to be an empty nester. I can speak to that. You can be retired, you can be a college student who wants to do it on the side. You can be any, any, anyone, a salaried employee who wants to, has a little extra time. Uh, you know, you could be a, a teenager and do it. And 
to run for one of these local offices, and you may be shocked to find out that whoever's in there, whether it be Democrat or Republican, depending on your state, they could have been there unopposed for term after term. And to run for one of these offices is not that difficult. We're not talking about a huge area. I mean, these usually these districts are two or three towns, you know, maybe one or two cities, local small cities, or a piece of a city. In other words, it's a bunch of neighborhoods when you get down to it. And you don't need a lot of money. You don't need a lot of infrastructure. You can go out and set up a little a campaign, gather not many signatures. Usually it's maybe a couple of hundred signatures. And you could do that just going door to door to get on the ballot. And you can campaign by going door to door. You know, I know it sounds old fashioned. I mean, I'll, I'll, I've, I've often spoke of Tip O'Neill, the legendary Massachusetts uh, House member who uh, wrote a book where he talked about all politics is local and how when he ran, he went door to door in his district, which was, I think, Cambridge and Somerville. And it took him about a year. But in the course of that year, he knocked on just about every door in his district. And that's how he won. He did it on a shoestring. He didn't have a lot of money. He was opposed by the Kennedys, who, of course, you know, anyone who lives in my state knows how powerful they are. And we all have like a kind of a love-hate feeling for the Kennedy family here. But putting that aside, he was opposed by the big politicians, and yet he still won. And I think that that was for a, a U.S. House district. That's a lot bigger. So if you live in a small district, you can do it. You can knock on some doors. You could get a few people who want to work with you as volunteers to send out little notices to the local media so you could get interviews. And it looks like we have a caller. Hello, you're on the air. Yes, hi, who is this? What do you want to talk about? Oh, okay, here. Let's uh, well, tell me about Nasara. What is this? You sent me an email about it. Please describe okay. it for me. You can go to DuckDuckGo because I'm going to describe it the best way I can to you, okay? Sure. Trump signed it November 2nd, 2020. While the Dems were busy trying to cheat, he slid it back through, right? Nasara goes way back. But I'm going to go just back to JFK. All right. Okay. John F. Kennedy was going to release Nassar to the world. He was killed for it. It's probably the main reason he was killed, because it does away with the banking systems. You've got to go read it, mm. okay? Then Bill Clinton was forced down the road to sign it at gunpoint by Navy SEALs and somebody else, right? Sounds crazy, but it's true. The only reason he did sign it, not just because of that, because he knew it would never be enforced, okay? So then we come up to the present day, right? Mm -hmm. Okay, well, let's go back to Bush. The Twin Towers. We know Bush did it. One of the reasons he did it was Nassar. The computers for Nassar were in a part of the towers, right? All Which right, you know, let, let me just, let me interrupt you briefly here. I, I, I am not endorsing any of this. You know, this, I mean, you, you're welcome to talk about it. I have no idea. I don't I don't know if Bush did the Twin Towers. To me, that's a little bit of a okay. a step let's, beyond. Let's, but I'm going go I'm ahead. certainly going to allow you to make your presentation. This is a free speech show. Again, but I want to put in a big disclaimer here that this is your opinion. I'm not endorsing yeah. any of it. And I, I honestly don't think there's a lot of proof of it, but you're welcome to talk right. about it. Go ahead. This is the part this is the part I want you to do. Okay. When you get to the, look at Nassar, the, the basic Nassar law, which if you go to DuckDuckGo and put Nassar law in, it tells you what it does. It eliminates the IRS. It, it, it eliminates all debt, mortgages, everything. It's wonderful. It's not just for America. This is global. Trump signed on 200 plus countries to do this. 
If you go look at everything. So then, wait a minute. Let me let me just interrupt here. So, in other words, Nasara is a system that gets rid of our private debt. Well, let me talk here. It it gets rid of our private, privately run debt oriented monetary system, which is centralized by the by the Federal Reserve system. Let me talk. Yes. By the Federal Reserve system and by other central banking systems in other countries. All right. And that the we, we implemented the, uh, the the 16th Amendment, which is a direct taxation, in order to basically put money back into this debt-based system. I get that. I think that's history. What you're suggesting here is that President Trump has signed a bill that would transfer that monetary power, the money power, if you will, away from the Federal Reserve and return it to the U.S government, the U.S. Treasury Department, the U.S. House, the U.S. Congress, where which was the case in this country, by the way, all the way from the time of Andrew Jackson, who got rid of the second bank, right up to the creation of the Federal Reserve in 1913. What you're saying then is that this Nassara Act returns our monetary system to the system we had before the Federal Reserve, and it gets rid of the Federal Reserve. Okay, backed by backed by uh, by metal. Now, are you suggesting that President Trump signed that into law? He did. November second, you can look it up. Okay. November second, twenty twenty. While they were busy worried about cheating, he did it. Fact. Hundred percent sure. I've done plenty of research. I'm just a regular well, person, but I've right. researched it fully. Well, if he did that. Then why aren't why uh, why why are we going to see steps taken to uh, to implement it? It's going to be implemented once Trump gets in there. Well, I don't know. I, there, I, you may know taken, there may be things going on right now behind the scenes that we're not aware of. May, maybe it's very but, strange. It was just a big fire right outside the Capitol. I don't know if you saw that. Uh, homeless people or something under a bridge. Supposedly. Oh, is that what I it don't is? Know. Who knows? Well, whatever it is. Look, I I would think that at this point, Biden is going to be. Um, is mm-hmm. going to be uh, inaugurated yeah. in, on, on uh, 12 o'clock on Wednesday. I don't think I that... I don't care if he's inaugurated or what. He would never, ever be our president. I, I disagree. I disagree. When the emergency broadcast system comes on, you may not believe me, you no, may live with a lunatic nut. No, but I just but disagree with that. What, anyone, whoever... No, no, no. Whoever is nominated and whoever has been inaugurated, even if they got in through stealing, which I think they did, it ain't just about the stealing. They are the president of the United States. That's what the Constitution says, and we have to recognize that. I'm not going to play the game of saying, oh, that he's not my president. He will be the president. Now, that doesn't he mean— He may be yours, but he'll never He will be, be the president. He, me, he will be the, the president. the broadcast system comes on, no, today, no. Or today, tomorrow or the next day, whenever, National Popcorn Day, get ready— because they're going to tell about the pedophiles and everything. It's all coming out. All right, fine. And I, it should, that should come out. But nevertheless, he will be the president. If he does something that's we'll proven that way, then there'll be an impeachment, maybe. We'll see. He'll well, we'll see. All right. Never. Well, I, I, you know, I'm not, right. I'm not with I you on you that. Thank you. I just Thank wanted you. to get out to the people. Because all I right. Because a lot of people knew that. They would try to see how wonderful President Trump is and what things that he's trying oh, to do. Oh, he's a great man. One of the greatest but, presidents since, since Washington. Anyway, listen, I want to thank you for calling. Nasara, we'll look I'll look into it. We should you know, there's nothing look wrong with it. researching. Look into it deeply. I tell you, I've ha- I have a lot <coughs> right. of research two years back. That I've right. done it for two years on all this stuff. So believe me if you want, believe me if you don't. But Biden, he will never he may be if they do inaugurate him, woohoo for that. He would never be our president. All right, so thanks so much. Go. All right. Bye. Bye bye. All right. Well, I guess that you're welcome to join the final segment here, 617-396-4958. Excuse me. 617-396-4958 is the number. Um, I think I screened that call okay. A little bit wild, a little bit woolly, but why not? This is Internet Radio. Oh, we're getting another call. Hold on. Yes, hello, you're on the air. What would you like to talk about? Who is this? And what do you want to talk about, James? 
not getting the right info with it. Interdimensional niggers are invading our third dimensional plane. All right. You know, I really, I should have, I mean, I don't think TikTok heard that, but I just want to say that um, it's it's very difficult to screen calls. I mean, I should have heard that coming in that his voice sounded the same as the person who tried to call last on Friday and, and sabotage the show. Um, you know, I guess, and, and also his his phone number is not coming up, so it's it's unlisted. Um, I completely reject that despicable comment that has no place on my program, no place in public life. And I now at least know that voice. So if, if that, that caller calls again, I will immediately hang up on them. I'm trying to screen calls through using the headphones so that I can hear them, but it's, uh, I think that with the headphones, it doesn't go over the air. Um, I don't know. It's, it's, a, it's a vexing problem. You know, I, I don't know quite how to do this. I am trying to do a program that is live Monday through Friday from 12 to 1. But there are people like that guy who just called who are trying to sabotage me. I mean, that's pretty obvious. They want to take me off the air, and they're going to use – certain words that, that we w- should never use, I would never, ever use. And and all I can tell you is that, um, you know, I've listened to conventional talk radio for years. I mean, going back to the days of Jerry Williams and, and David Brodnoy and all the great, great talkers. And even with their screen callers, you would have someone like that sometimes sneak in and throw a bomb. And they didn't get taken off the air because they immediately disavowed it, just like I just did. And it was understood that this was not something that was supposed to happen. So all I can say is that I I am doing the best I can to screen the calls. And if someone does get through like that, I will hang up on them as as quickly as I can. Okay, now this time, let me just see. Hello, you're on the air. Yeah, who's this? Nope, that sounded like the same guy, so I hung up on him. Um... If, if not, then I'm sorry, but to me, this sounds like somebody's trying to sabotage the show, and I'm not going to, you know, that's not going to go over the air. Um, I guess that we have time for one more phone call. You know, if you're a real person who's well-meaning and legitimate, you're welcome to join me, 617 617-396-4958. 617-396-4958. Um, you know, I suppose the other thing is I have to learn how to edit these things so that they can, and, and I'm not, I'm not the most adept person when it comes to uh, this stuff, but I think that I could probably shave that off. Um, if, if I learn how to edit, uh, okay, let's see, let's try one more time here. Hello, you're, uh, what do you want to talk about? No, 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 don't, uh, that's the same person, and I'm not interested. Anyway, um, don't call again, okay? Please don't. I'm going to hang up if you do. Um, 617-396-4958. 617-396-4958. Let's see if there's any legitimate phone callers out there if you want to call and discuss issues with respect for the community and within the bounds of um, what is really good taste and and appropriate, you're welcome aboard. But otherwise, I'm going to try to shut you off as best I can. Um, I think that's pretty much, that kind of wraps things up for today. I shall return, God willing, tomorrow 
12 noon Eastern Standard Time, as I forge forward with this great experiment, and it is an experiment, and it's uh, <laughs> may not go, may not be possible. I may not be able to do calls if I'm going to continue to get these crank calls. But uh, I'm going to continue to try as best I can. Uh, the, the phone number is 617-396-4958. Charles Moskowitz, um, I want to thank you for joining me this afternoon. Again, the program is Monday through Friday, 12 to 1 p.m. Eastern Time. You can check out my books. And my latest book, which is a short book, a pamphlet almost, is now available at Amazon Books. And that is We're All Socialists Now, A Deplorable Looks at the 2020 Election. Um, these and my other books are all available at Amazon Books. Just put my name in the server at Amazon, Charles Moskowitz, like Moscow, W-I-T-Z, and they'll all come up. So on that night, on that note, I should say, I want to thank you for joining me this afternoon, and um, I hope you all